Luke's account of what we commonly call Holy Week. We started things off Sunday morning uh, looking at what's called the triumphal entry and a couple of days in the temple complex and Jesus, we discovered, picks a fight uh, with the religious leaders. And so a really important question to ask is, well, what do we expect to happen after that, right? And so in Luke 22 and 23, well, Luke tells us what happens after that. He says this, Now the feast of the unleavened bread drew near, which is called the Passover, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. And so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the crowd. Then came the day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And, and likewise, after the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be that was going to do this thing. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers 
Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you have denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. And he said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that this scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And, he rose, when, he rose, and when he rose from prayer... He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, he was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said, Judas, would you, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. And then Jesus said to the, the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me then, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him, in, in, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Peter, remembering the saying of the Lord, and how he had said to them, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him as they beat him. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, Prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When day came, 
the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council and said, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. And they said, Well, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the whole company of them rose and brought him before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people with teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him because well, he had heard about him. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who is misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. But they cried out all together, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify! Crucify him! The third time he said to them, Why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no guilt-deserving death. I will therefore punish and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So Pilate decided that their demands should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say, begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when the wood is dry? Two others who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. 
And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, Well, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. Soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. So if you are like me, you feel a little awkward leaving the story there, right? Like, surely that's not the ending, right? We've come up with much better stories than, than that one. I can dream up some things. I'm sure you could, too. I, I'm really uncomfortable leaving the story there, especially because I know what the ending is supposed to be. Some of that, I think, is culture-driven. Some of it, like, like I, I don't, the longer you pay attention to the world we live in, the more I think you'll, you'll see, like, we don't do well with awkwardness. We don't do well with uncomfortable. We don't like things that don't resolve. So some of that's a cultural driver in us, but man, like, I, don't, I don't know if that's all of it. I think also at the very same time, some of that is God's good design. Almost as if we've been created for a happily ever after that hasn't found its resolution yet. 
Like we've been created for a story that has the most magnificent ending ever. And we all get a little taste of it. And we know it's just outside of our reach. And we desperately yearn for it. And if you've been doing the church thing for a while, you know, you know what's coming. You know what, you know what chapter 24 has in store for us. And like we got some big plans for Sunday. We spent a little money on it. We're gonna decorate the place. We bought some flowers. Man, it's a good day. We're making breakfast for people. You may have even bought a brand new shirt. Sunday is going to be a really big deal. And just to reveal the, the pastor's heart a little bit, I kind of desperately want Sunday to be this grand explosion of joy. Am I alone in that? I, I, I long for that deeply. I want Sunday to be an absolute explosion of joy. But, and so we, we know the story doesn't end there, and we're kind of amped up about it, and we want desperately to get to, to that part of the story. But here's the massive deal that we need to pay attention to. The people in the story didn't know Sunday was coming. They had no idea. Now, the scriptures made it clear that Sunday was coming. And Jesus told them over and over again that, that Sunday was coming, but for some reason, they didn't get it. They didn't know. And I've got a theory about some things. I think, I think the fact that they didn't know that Resurrection Sunday was coming may, may be why they seem to be more excited when it gets there than we often are. Let me say that again. I think, I think their, their lack of knowledge that Resurrection Sunday was on the horizon, I, I think that's what allowed the real thing to end up being a much bigger deal than what we normally play it. I, I don't know about you, but I find myself sometimes falling into the rut of, of this weekend just being another event on the church calendar. Am I alone in that one? Sure, it's, it's busier than normal. We've added stuff to the list of things to do, and so there's, there's, a, there's a bigger workload than normal, right? But like, like it's just kind of another Sunday in some ways, or at least it's another grand Sunday just like it was the, the last time we did it. And so we play this routine, and we've got this pattern and this rhythm that we kind of walk in. And, and, and so we'll, we'll, we'll do this, and we'll do this, and we'll do this. And then, yeah, Easter's here. Great. Let's have a big party about it. And I know all the theological implications that are buried in what we're celebrating this weekend. But like a lot of things in this world, I... I find myself sometimes rushing through them because I already know the end of the story. I guarantee I'm not alone with that one. And so here's my theory. I think that the explosion of joy we all instinctively know should be present on Resurrection Sunday, should be present on Easter, 
it can't actually occur without deeply experiencing the heartache of Good Friday. I think one is necessary to make the other one happen. See, without the heartache, Sunday is just a veneer. We can paint it up, we can make it a spectacle. But God waited a few days on purpose. That was no accident. He wasn't trying to work out the details and then launch the plan. He gave them a moment to marinate in the depth of the sorrow that is Good Friday. Sunday's not here yet. It's coming. It's going to be a big old deal. But it's not here yet. So so what do we do in the meantime? We turn the lights a weird color of red and we make the room darker than normal. But also, I, I think we lean into the good things that God has given us. Good things to... Simple pictures that he's given us to to help us understand absolutely massive realities. We lean into simple pictures that he's given us to remember. On the night that Jesus was arrested, we read it. He gathers his disciples in the upper room and he calls them to celebrate this incredibly traditional Jewish meal called the Passover. And it's steeped in tradition. It's steeped in, in a thousand little things that you got to do in order. And, and so everybody knows the game plan. Everybody knows the route that's supposed to be run on this night. But Jesus gets to be Jesus. And, and so he kind of he shifts things from tradition and he starts making it about him. Is Jesus allowed to do that? I'm not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to do that. But Jesus is allowed to do that, right? Jesus picks up this, this bread and he, he tears it. And everybody's watching him do it, right? And he says, this is my body which is broken for you. Now the disciples, again, they, they didn't seem to, even though Jesus told them over and over again what was coming, they just never got smart enough to figure it out. And so they're probably watching Jesus do this and going, what? What do you mean? My accent gets more southern when I act stupid. What do you mean, Jesus? Just hours after Jesus breaks that bread in two, his body would be torn to shreds. Beaten, whipped, spat upon, nailed to a Roman stake and left to suffocate. Jesus picks up a cup of wine. He says, this is my blood which is spilled out for the blood of the new covenant. We don't don't talk with covenant language in our world today, but it's something that the Jews would have immediately keyed up on. You don't get to establish new covenants unless you've got the ability to back them up. The old system was over. 
And yet, the old system was ultimately fulfilled. Because the very meal they celebrated pointed to a spotless lamb. A sinless lamb. Who would ultimately die to take away the sins of his people. Jesus breaks the bread. He raises the cup. Says, this, this is my this is my blood that's poured out for you, the blood of the new covenant. And just hours after he says those words, his blood is literally spilled. But there's another thing that Jesus told his disciples in that meal. To do this in remembrance of me. There's an expectation among God's people that we need to remind ourselves regularly of what he has done. There's an expectation among God's people that we need to remind ourselves regularly of the necessity of what he has done. And so there's a couple different places in the Bible that we look to for instructions about how to take this meal. In fact, when, when we finally get around to you know, the back end of 1 Corinthians as a church family, when Paul's going to tell us that we're to take it as a family, but we're also to take it with a tone of repentance. And so before we crack these little things open, whatever they are, our, our first action is to feel the weight of the song we sang right before we closed that out. We're, we're no better than Peter. You know, we're no better than Judas. Our sin is what made this necessary. And yet, he went to the cross willingly and joyfully. Take a moment and confess before the God who knows your heart inside and out. You need the reminder of what he has done this evening. Our sin does not disqualify us from this meal. Our sin necessitates this meal. And so Jesus picked up the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Jesus picked up the cup. He says, this is my blood which is spilled for you. Take and drink.
Father, thank you for sending your son. The one who put on flesh and dwelt among us. The one who lives sinlessly in perfect obedience to you. And thereby was the perfect spotless sacrifice who went to the altar willingly. God, help us feel the heartbreak of Good Friday. Help us feel the depth of our sin that necessitated the cross. Broken body and spilled blood. It is not an unviolent experience. And yet you came. Yet Jesus came willingly and lovingly and joyfully, knowing all that was to come down the pike. Thank you for being a God who not only sees our need, but meets our need. God, we long for that resolution. We long for the, the next piece of the story because it's, it's a necessary part as well and we're going to explode with joy, but help us in this moment feel the weightiness of why Jesus had to come. So that we can explode with joy Sunday without the veneer. It won't even be necessary. It'll just come out of us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let us leave tonight as Jesus' disciples did. Quiet, a little scared, but ultimately hopeful that our questions will finally be answered by the God who can answer every question when he's ready to. You're dismissed.